Welcome back to CDM Media's Women in Tech Insights. I'm your host, Vinny, and we have a special episode for you today. For today's podcast, I'm joined by Rosie Campbell, Director of the Global Institute for Women's Leadership and Professor of Politics at King's College. King's College London Global Institute for Women's Leadership work to create a world where being a woman is not a barrier to becoming a leader in any field, nor a factor contributing to a negative perception of an individual's leadership. There's no doubt that the pandemic has shone a light on issues that have long been pressing concerns for women, from childcare and inflexible working arrangements and the underappreciation of female-dominated professions. There's an opportunity to harness this attention and create a gender-equal world where we have long to see. Stay tuned as we will dive into the risks and opportunities for gender equality in the workplace post-COVID and much more after the break. Thank you so much, Rosie, for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. Glad to be here. So just want to start off by saying welcome and just give us a little bit of a background of what you do um, and yeah. Well, so I'm the director of the Global Institute for Women's Leadership at King's College. I'm a professor of politics, so I'm an academic. That's what I've done before this job. Um, And the Institute tries to bring together um, academic research and public understanding, dealing with advocates who are trying to bring about change, to try and bring the research evidence to the advocates and to try and have an impact on the world. And the chair of the Institute is Julia Gillard, the former Australian prime minister, the only woman to hold the job. And she really has came up with the idea about, there's all this research going on about what can make a difference, but sometimes it's not communicated very well. How can we have a better conversation about what can speed up the pace of change? So that's what we're all about. That's amazing. And I think so important about having all this research, but how do you effectively communicate this to thousands of women out there and not even just women but other genders and people from all different backgrounds um and so i just wanted to start off with you know as we saw overnight millions of employees across the world shifted from working in an office to working remotely to help stop the spread of coronavirus and i just wanted to know do you think this has disproportionately impacted women what have you found from the research that you've done well we found, and lots of other organisations that have done research around the impact of the crisis, was during the crisis, we know that women were disproportionately affected by the closure of schools and nurseries and other caring facilities. So women were there suddenly combining their paid work if they weren't key workers and were sent home with childcare. And this had a very significant impact on women, Um, some men, but more women. Also, um, the sectors that have been hit hardest, hospitality and retail, women are disproportionately represented among. And then, of course, those people who've been fighting the crisis, care workers, health workers, are disproportionately women. So there are lots of ways that women have been affected compared to men. But going forward, there's real risks and opportunities. Um, work, keep workers who need to be in a face-to-face role, this perhaps doesn't apply to as much. But for those of us who have the luxury of of having the opportunity to work from home some of the time, we could really see an increase in flexibility in the workplace, which might help women with caring responsibilities progress. But I also fear that there could be some risk of slippage of actually us creating a three-tier workforce where women are actually more often remote workers, not as visible, not getting promoted and not having the career opportunities that they could have. And and that 
that's so important because that brings me to my next point is that let's go back to pre-pandemic and you know remote work was actually seen as a luxury for many you know from having huge benefits from saving time commuting spending less money on childcare and so on however one thing you brought up which is one major drawback was climbing the career ladder when you're at home and uh, researchers found from Stanford Graduate School of Business that while people working from home were more productive 13% to be exact they weren't rewarded with promotions at nearly the same rate as office colleagues so fast forward today do you think COVID has advanced gender equality in employment or do you think it has widened the gap well it's too early to say because you know we're, we're at least in the UK many of us are just returning to the office in some form now and there's going to be variation across different employers about what that new pattern of work looks like now, I think if you have a genuinely hybrid model where people make use of face-to-face when it's most appropriate, but actually their performance is measured by what they deliver, by their output rather than their face time, then this could be a real opportunity. But what I fear is we already have a two-tier workforce. There's something called the flexibility stigma, where people who work part-time or flexibly tend not to get promoted. Now, if we end up in a situation where we have a small cadre of people who are mostly in the office and then some who are working in a hybrid format and some who are never in the office. My fear is that the opportunities might be targeted at those who are nearly always in the office. That would be a mistake for organisations because they wouldn't be making the best use of their people. As you said, we work very efficiently at home on tasks that need to be concentrated, etc. But if we don't think very carefully about how we reward people and, and help their career progression, that could happen. So we don't know what's happening yet. But I do hope that employers are going to be very cognizant that this new way of working requires a lot of thought about how they're going to manage recruitment, retention, progression. And what roadmaps do you think can be put in place to ensure promotional opportunities are equal if if, if we are living in this world of hybrid working? Well, I think really good HR practices are essential. We as humans have a natural bias towards, it's called a profile effect, people we've seen recently. If I come off this chat with you and someone says to me, oh, I need someone to do an interview, I'll say, Benny was really good. And you are a really good natural interviewer. But I've also met lots of other interviewers in my lifetime, but you're the one who immediately springs to mind. Now, if you want to make sure you get the best person, then you put a process in place to make sure Benny can apply. But who might I be missing? Now, that seems quite obvious. But actually, how we often operate in the workplace isn't like that. We tap people on the shoulder and give them an opportunity rather than actually thinking, how can we make sure that we're making sure this is a fair process? So that's one thing that we can do. Um, The other is really thinking carefully in evaluations about how do we what if targets have we set and who has met them? Now, even in the workplace before COVID, women tended to be less, they'd get the same kind of grades and evaluation, but tend to be given um, lower pay rises for the same grades. So you need to have a process of actually looking at, well, who's been given what score and what salary are they being given and making sure that that matches. So there's a lot of rigorous HR practice that you need. Um, but there's also sensible thinking about, I personally think we ought to think about those people who opt for complete remote working, actually, would it be good to make sure there's a bit of face-to-face contact built into that working model sometimes? And those people who might prefer to be in the office all the time, well, actually, maybe it would be good for them and good for everyone if they went home for a bit of the time. So I do think we need to think, rather than a hands-up approach to who's going to be in the office when, what work is done where best? And let's arrange work that way. 
Absolutely. And I'd love to know if you've noticed any new incentives in job descriptions or if you've noticed a trend towards a more diverse recruitment policy. Is there anything that you've uh, found in your research? Well, obviously, post-COVID is very soon. But uh, there is a huge range of literature about out there um, of really fantastic books written by um, Iris Bonnet, Bonnet um, called Building Gender Equality by Design. And it's basically, um, you know, an absolute tome of fantastic HR practice from the obvious things like name blind CVs to what artwork have you got on the walls when people come for an interview? Um, if you only have pictures of white men, that sends quite a strong signal to individuals who are thinking about applying for the job. There are lots and lots of things you can do. The language you put in job adverts, the kind of the way you describe the job can make a huge difference to who replies. So I'd suggest anyone reads that book. And, and when we do come back to the office or, you know, when things are more set in place, um, say, for instance, women that are in the workplace, what immediate red flags should women spot at their workplace that instantly demonstrates their employee hasn't yet matured to service or genders and backgrounds equally, whether it be from gender of the board of directors, the overall percentage of male female numbers and so on? Well, keeping track on all those numbers is really important. You know, what's the gender pay gap in your organisation and in different quartiles? What percentage of women are there at different levels of management, etc.? But often what really matters are more subtle things. You can have a really fantastic policy on paper, but what do things look like in practice? And the research shows that middle managers are absolutely crucial because you can have a policy that says, unless it's urgent, please don't email outside core business hours. But if your manager acts in a way that expects you to be always responsive, that creates a culture where it doesn't matter what the policy says. So actually, if you come into an organisation and you find that people are valorising overwork, that's a massive red flag. We all have situations where there's a deadline or there's something really urgent going on at work and we have to put other things to side. But if that becomes the norm, that can become a very toxic workplace because then it's all about the race to be present as often as possible rather than to deliver good work. And we know that when humans get overtired and overstretched, we stop delivering good work. So that can become a very toxic workplace for women and people with caring responsibilities, but actually for most of us. A hundred percent. I agree with that. And I mean, moving on from the risks that we've seen uh, with, with post-COVID, despite the challenges, like there has been some individual gains from home working. And what are the best examples of positive change in the workplace that you've witnessed through COVID? Well, I suppose there's sort of two levels to that. One of them is what the research says. And I think there has been, although we know there's been a really sur a surge of mental health problems during the crisis due to isolation, there has been evidence that managers and particularly women managers have, have been particularly empathetic in dealing with that and working with colleagues. So that's a positive thing. And we also know that when we look at survey responses, people don't want to go back. Men and women don't want to go back to the way that they we used to work in the office. That both men and women have gained more time at home. They think they're getting better quality work done. And they want to use face-to-face -face time for things that actually really help build relationships rather than just to come sit at a desk and type away. So that can really help because we're only going to shift the dial on gender equality when caring doesn't, isn't just a women's issue, when men yeah. are seen as carers as well. And so that's a real opportunity. Yeah, and I think there was a huge kind of unwritten rule 
pre-pandemic that the the women would have to automatically be the childminder and work from home but now I think there'll be a rise with more men working from home and taking on that role so I absolutely think that's such a good change that's come out from um, COVID um, and I, I read recently that the government announces plans to make the right to request flexible working a day one right as well as new entitlements for unpaid carers what do you think about this uh, the government's plan to modernize the way that we work all of that's movement in the right direction and unfortunately some of the jobs where we've got the biggest problems in terms of flexibility aren't jobs like yours and mine it's jobs where you are um you're doing shift work or you're doing face-to-face work think about nurses nurses often have 12-hour shifts that they can't change which is very very difficult if you haven't got the money to pay for a nanny 12-hour shifts you can't the nurseries are not available if you if you include the um drop off and pick up time yeah um and so you know we've got a massive crisis of lack of of lack of um nurses i think that actually this is a really good step forward but we need to start thinking more innovatively about flexible working we've got the technology now to match people to the hours they can do and the government's making a really good step but actually employers also need to think if i want to reach the best people i need to be more flexible about how they work and some of that is about saying to people you can work at home some of the time but if you work at home but the expectation is that you are always working that doesn't work either people get burnt out and they can't meet their other commitments so there is a there is a there's a thought about how this is managed the other thing is that we we've seen improvements in terms of um accessibility of childcare and parental leave but until we really have men taking up as much of the caring paid leave as women there's still going to be this association with women and needing to take breaks from work. So I'd love to see the government moving to support men to have parental leave at the same rates as women. Yeah, I was actually going to ask the policies, are, are, do you think they're going to change? I mean, with maternity leave and paternity leave, do you think those will change or is that already in, in plans? Well, it's hard to know what, what where politics is going to take us in the future. But I think there has been a direction of travel of recognizing that we now live in a society where the old model of a single breadwinner just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so we've gradually moved towards having more, more access to high quality, low cost childcare and to having um, more involvement of men. But compared to somewhere like Sweden, we're still way behind. We really need to have use it or lose it paid parental leave for fathers that's significant because then we know from the research in countries like Sweden that men get really involved in rearing their children and that can really help change the way we think about work and family and gender. And if we're let's just bring it back to the workplace so I just wanted your advice in terms of how can women become more socially and economically empowered without fear of retribution in the workplace so how can women effectively raise gender issues uh, at a workplace today what are the communication skills that you need and and so on what kind of advice would you have for those women i think it depends on the kind of issues you're experiencing um we need allies and we need women colleagues and male colleagues who'll stand up for us. It's very difficult to be the lone voice in the room. And if you're working in, a, in an industry that where you feel like the lone voice, that can be very difficult. So seeking out allies to support you is incredibly important. Um, and, you know, there are, in many industries, there are trailblazers, women and men, who really have raised these issues and had a very difficult time. 
And it does depend a bit on the sector, how easy it is or how difficult it is to raise these issues. But I think there is an appetite at, at this moment in the post Me Too era for us to be able to talk about whether it's flexibility stigma or on the darker end, whether it's harassment. Um, but we need to be brave collectively. We shouldn't think we have to take it on our shoulders individually. We really need to support each other. Absolutely. And I was really interested to know what brought you to this position here as a director of the Global Institute for Women's Leadership? Well, um, so I, for um, you know, the past 20 odd years, studied um, British politics. That's my field. And half of my research has been on gender equality and looking at do women voters behave differently from men voters? What about women politicians compared to male politicians? Um, and the opportunity of this job came up. And what really excited me is I've always done a little bit of media work. I've um, presented programmes on Radio 4. And I really like bringing the academic research to public attention because I think what's the point of doing it if it doesn't make any difference out there in the real world? So this institute is all about, I'm a political scientist, but I've got colleagues who are sociologists from business studies, from psychology. The point is let's bring all this knowledge together. Let's develop it in, develop it in conversation with people who are working in these industries and really try and find out what works and bring it into practice quickly. So we can wait, we don't have to wait 203 years to see gender equality. We can get there in 20, that's our goal. Um, what is the, the positive change that you've seen so far in, in say the past couple of years um, within doing the, all this research? Well, sadly, I think when it comes to moving these massive global trends, it takes a bit longer than a couple of years. Yeah. But I have been really excited to see the enthusiasm. There are so many people working and interested in this space. And it's the coming together and making, we have more power collectively than we do individually. And I certainly see there are loads of great institutions and um, within sectors and across sectors and that together we can really push this agenda and try, you were asking about government policy change. We've just um, launched a report today about gender pay gap reporting. And what we're trying to do is say, look, we've got, we've got legislation, that's great, but it needs, it needs strengthening, it needs toughening up. And actually, there are lots of other organisations, the Fawcett Society, the 30% Club, the Women's Budget Group, they're all saying the same thing. That's how we try and persuade governments, actually, let's take the next step now. And if you to, were to give women listening to this podcast right now one piece of advice uh, in, for that woman who's trying to ask for that raise or that promotion, what, what would your best piece of advice be? Well, I mean, that's really interesting. I mean, it depends what their particular issue is. But first of all, I'm a great believer we don't need to fix women. Women are perfectly fine and we need to fix the systems. So if women are not being offered a raise at the same rate as men, there's a problem with the system because women are equally talented. And actually, this can be something about how does your organisation process um, promotion and remuneration? Because if you actually wait for people to ask, You've got men and women, say, performing at the same level. A man is more likely to say, I deserve a promotion, I deserve a pay rise than a woman. Now, that's not necessarily because women lack confidence. It's because women who are seen to ask are sometimes called pushy and difficult. Yeah. Where you have a system that says, right, who's doing really well? Let's look at their performance. And then you say, I think you should apply for this and you should and you should. Then you create a system where actually everybody feels that they can step up and ask without risking being called pushy and difficult. So it, a lot of these solutions are for individual women. Now that doesn't mean there aren't things that I could advise individual women to think about. Um, I mean, I have a family and when your children are really young, 
Um, it can be quite difficult sometimes to combine work and family life. Um, and many women decide they need to take a, a step out and perhaps work part time and so on. And my advice would be do what you need to do to keep going. But I would strongly advise keep that foot in because um, touch wood, we're all going to live a very long time. And having a successful career that you enjoy gives you an enormous amount of autonomy, self-satisfaction and economic empowerment that we shouldn't underestimate. So keeping that foot in, no matter how you do it, whether you're able to work full time or whether you feel that you can't, um, don't give it up is my advice. That's a great piece of advice and, uh, and that's going to resonate with so many women that are listening to this podcast right now. Um, and before I wrap it up, I just wanted to ask, is there anything else that you would like to cover um, in regards to opportunities for the future, what you're hopeful for, maybe the um, report that just came out today, bridging the gap, um, bridging the pay gap? Uh, yeah. Well, I think obviously this is this um this conversation is directed particularly at women in tech, and that's going to be such an important field going forward. We all know with the fourth industrial revolution that actually you know this is going to be pivotal, and yet we know it's one sector where women are really underrepresented, especially in leadership. And so I think all your listeners who are involved in tech are playing such an important role. And I'd really say there's research showing that when you when you when you sort of explain people as tech for good how you can use technology to change the world for better. Women are really interested in those careers. It's when tech seems to be a nerdy thing that's for a, a clique or a subgroup of mainly men. Women think that's not for me. So when you go out there and communicate with other women and when you talk about what you're doing with your work, do you think about how women more often than men, although lots of men feel like this too, want to make the world a better place? They want to feel like they're doing something useful. So really think about how you're communicating about what you do and why you do it. And pull more women in underneath you because we're really going to need them if we're going to make sure that AI isn't biased, if we're going to make sure we have a fairer world, not a less fair world going forward. Exactly. Having not just women at present, but all, all different backgrounds and um, bringing that workplace to be inclusive. And um, as you said, if, if we only have one kind of male heavy or one kind of background it's going to be quite biased moving forward so how can we have a non-biased uh, environment and and it, for an organization how can you deliver a product that is not not uh, biased um but no that's really interesting to hear and i'm so so happy that you came on to speak to me today i've been so excited for this conversation um what an incredible and insightful discussion this has been and if you're listening and have a story you would like to share please reach out to me directly on my linkedin at Venetia shah as always you can listen to past episodes of our podcast wherever you stream your favorite podcast or on cdm media Com. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much, Rosie, for joining me today. Thank you, Vinny. <laughs> See you next time. See you next time.